Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And today we're talking about Before Your Eyes. Developed by Goodbye World Games and published by Skybound Games, it was released for Windows on the 8th of April 2021. And we'll be talking spoilers, so heads up if you're sensitive to that. It is a pretty short game, so um, if you're worried about spoilers, I'd recommend going and playing it. It'll probably take you about as long as this podcast will. Yeah, absolutely. So I played this game shortly after it, it came out due to the sort of critical response to it. And honestly, the, the main mechanic, the blinking, just sort of intrigued me. Uh, I'm always interested in a game that's willing to record my facial expressions while I play it. Um, <laughs> and eventually, Josh Cave too. <laughs> well, you know me about my privacy and all that. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised I, I did get you to play a game that will monitor your face during the course of playing it but i'm glad you did because i think this is a really interesting game yep well you know it does it all um locally instead of uploading it to the cloud so thumbs up for that i don't doubt that you dug into the code to make sure that that was the case (laughs) (laughs) but uh this is a really interesting game in that um it does rely basically on the player having a webcam and that webcam recording uh, blinks uh, every time you uh, close your eyes to uh, advance. I mean, the, the back of the box text or the, the, uh, the elevator pitch for this game is you live uh, a character, Benjamin's life, and time moves forward when you blink. It's so simple. It's so good. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a, a really nice, concise thesis for a game. Yeah, it's not a... The tagline says it all, but it's not a mechanic you've really seen before. Uh, and this... This game uses it to great effect um, because, you know, blinking isn't like pressing a button where, yes, we can blink when we want to, but we also blink when we aren't thinking about it, too. So sometimes you'll be watching a scene and people will still be talking, but you move on to the next one because you blinked. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that they used it as an advancement mechanic. Um because you find yourself sort of fighting your body. Um, As you said, Josh, blinking is inevitable, but you can try and hold it off for as long as possible if you, say, want to stay in a scene longer. Um, But if you, you know, eventually your body will betray you and uh, you'll you'll have to move on. (laughs) The... The, the interesting thing about this mechanic is they also subvert it at the same time by a- sometimes asking you to keep your eyes closed, um, which is equally interesting. And actually, to me, because I'm a nosy motherfucker, equally difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to see what's going on, but they drop that at you and the, uh, they drop that on you at the end of it. Yeah, it's it's very true. And, you know, the patients they're asking for me to just sit with my eyes closed and listen um, you'd think I'd be better at this, given I'm like an ad- avid podcast listener, but no, I, I struggled mightily with those scenes, uh, probably more so than the ones where you keep your eyes open. But let's take a trip down memory lane, because this game uh, was originally conceived way back in 2014, which surprised me, uh, because in 2014, webcams were not as ubiquitous as they are. And neither was the uh, facial detection algorithms as advanced as they are these days. So yeah. for something to be able to tell that here's a face, not only is it a face, but it's also blinking right now. Um, I'm sure he, the uh, game developer has benefited from uh, some advancing of the state of the art since this game for, was first conceived. 
Absolutely. And, you know, they were working in a pretty high-tech space when they were conceiving of it in USC back in 2014. Will Hellworth was basically saying, you know, he had this idea and wanted to modify a game to read in response to, to people's facial expressions, which um, I found really interesting. They eventually kickstarted the idea as a game called Close Your, um, which was funded in 2016 and slated for a 2017 release, although they, they did not make that, and eventually <laughs> had to get external funding um, from a company called Riot, who eventually helped them put this game out uh, in 2021 in the, the current state. In the interim... Everybody got a webcam. <laughs> Thanks, <Yay>. COVID. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like how everyone got a game controller after Super Meat Boy came out for Steam. Yeah, that's right. It, it's really interesting that like uh, you know events, uh, sometimes external to games, sometimes internal to them, will drive the adoption of a certain technology, and then that opens the door for a lot of new things. And I think that everybody getting webcams in 2020 really like boosted this game's profile when it came out in 2021 in an unexpected way i do like this is a kind of like example of the indie game space and this experimentation you see where they'll take something like a webcam and try to make a novel input mechanic out of this i will say on twitter around this time last year i saw someone trying to make a platformer based on how open your mouth was at the time. And I think this game did a better job with it. Yeah, it's funny because, like, novel input mechanics seem like a huge dice roll to me. Like, I mean, you're there's already so much that can go wrong or just not go right enough when developing a game. <laughs> and leaving, like the novel input mechanic of a webcam and making sure that you are able to account for every single type of human face and glasses and other things um, just seems like while I'm sure, well, you know, while for this game, it seemed to have a great payoff, like it's such a daunting thing to overcome. And I think some of the like response to this game that was middling was because they had a rough time with that input mechanic. I will say that I had a rough time with the input mechanic. I eventually had to switch over to button control. Mm. Um, I think it's because I got a pair of these glasses things on me. And <laughs> yeah. Not the best lighting where I play games either. So I don't. I think it was a um, too much of a struggle for the game to understand when I was blinking and when I wasn't. Um, I I really enjoyed the game afterwards when I wasn't just trying to like ferociously blink at the computer and get it to understand what I was doing. <laughs> um, so I think I got into the tone of the game a little more once I switched away from that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you were at least able to continue to experience the story because I do think this game's you know story and, and plot and message sort of stand on their own with or without the blinking mechanic. I think that's definitely something that helps underlie underline and underlie the the overall message of the game but it still is a strong story in writing even without it um but maybe we should set up exactly what this game's about so what happens is you wake up and you're you're on a boat you got your ferryman taking you to the afterlife uh the ferryman does he have a name in the game just the ferryman just the fox the fox looking ferryman is reading from a thesaurus and yelling at seagulls I was pretty instantly charmed by this. <laughs> yeah, you're on your way to the afterlife. You're uh, Benjamin Brin, and you basically uh, interact with Benjamin's memories uh, through the eye tracking blink mechanic, as we said, in order to progress. And 
the game, you know, reads and responds your motion to your uh, motions. And as we said before, um, you see Benjamin's life, time moves forward when you blink. It's nice and simple. <laughs> uh, how the game sets up this framing narrative is that uh, the ferryman is trying to record the story of your life so that he can present it to the, I don't know, all-powerful cat god who's going to be judging you at the end of the ferry trip. So you're going through the scenes one by one so we can figure out what's going on with you. That's right. So it's sort of a, a setup to cosmic judgment. The ferryman is trying to figure out your story so he can properly convey it uh, and hopefully gain you access to, I guess, heaven. Um, And so the first portion of this game is about revisiting the life of Benjamin. Uh, You you know, growing up, uh, discovering, you know, meeting his parents, uh, Ellie, who is a uh, aspiring composer who becomes an accountant, and Richard, uh, his father, who is a professor and honestly, seems like a pretty hapless dude. He's a professor of maritime archaeology, which I found to be <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> you know, it's not uh, something that is in huge demand in the um, industry, perhaps. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe not. Um, he's sort of um, portrayed as kind of like an easygoing, you know, intelligent, but very easygoing and, and sort of hapless individual. He doesn't to my estimation, add too much to the overall story, but he's just sort of a constant presence and the way the characters bounce off of him, like his and Ellie's interactions are charming. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's worth saying right off the bat that the voice uh, work in this game, um, Ellie portrayed by Sarah Burns and Richard portrayed by Eric Edelstein are uh, astounding. They're great. Like they work really well together. I agree. I agree. And while uh, Richard might be more of a... um passive part of your life growing up ellie is definitely more involved she's definitely a very determined uh parent definitely someone who is looking to make the best life for their child by any means necessary yeah i I really think ellie is probably the most interesting and and you know well-explored character uh, aside from probably benjamin or Benny, as it is, uh, in the game, because you get to see her relationship with her father as well. So you get Benny's grandfather, who, uh, as the game put it, uh, held very um, held the belief that the only way to live on after you're gone is to create a work of genius. Uh, she, mm-hmm. of course, countered with, um, what about your children? And he's like, yes, I suppose they could create a work of genius too. <laughs> and... <laughs> So uh, very much he was uh, wanting to spur her on to become a composer. She never quite reached the heights um, that maybe he would have hoped she did. And as a result, Ellie is sort of putting that upon Benny to make sure that he can, uh, you know, maybe achieve what she could not. Yeah, during the game, you see Ellie as she's um, losing track of her dreams so to speak like she wants to be a composer but she's not finding success at it and she eventually has to uh the game very much frames it as she's giving up on her dreams to become an accountant and earn that paycheck uh, in order to support the family um but then she kind of puts that on you the player as benny uh where she tries to make you into a great composer and get you into this amazing composing school um and they have a whole like uh, build up to this piano recital where you're, you're supposed to go and impress the head music guy at the school. 
Right. Yeah, the admissions director person. And you can tell we, me and Brian were very involved in the <laughs> world of child prodigy music things when we talked about the head music guy. Yeah, head music dude. Um, but yeah, it, he is uh, a jerk. But um, the funny thing about this this scene is is the game uh, up until this point has given you a sort of series of light choices, right? Um, you can choose what things to interact with on the screen. But as far as I can recall, and I, I might be incorrect about this, but regardless, the point stands. You get a very clear choice right before the scene with the music director. Whether you get to pl- uh, you want to go hang out all night with your friend Chloe at the beach, who's the next door neighbor girl and Benny's best friend or whether you want to stay in and focus and prepare for your recital. And depending on which of those you choose, the scene will play out differently and it'll affect conversations and scenes that you see thereafter. Um, which did you choose? Which did I choose? Oh, I went out all night with Chloe because I'm oh, not I stayed a monster. In. <laughs> I stayed in to practice piano because I like piano. You nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, here's the thing, though, is this is exactly the type of thing the game is is trying to get you to see is that, you know, what are you missing? Um, and it does that with the blinking mechanic by, you know, what are you missing after you blink? And the scene, you know, continues, but you're not there. What are you missing by making a choice to stay in versus go out or vice versa? And... Um, this scene, uh, ironically, because I've seen both sides of it due to my second playthrough that I, I just did today, <laughs> um, uh, it does not unfold very differently. Like, they either say, wow, you were terrible, and you did not pass, or despite your really great performance, you did not pass. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it's, it's sort of, I mean, I don't, I think that actually sort of undercuts the game's message, but... I think what it's trying to say is you're inevitably going to miss some parts of life, right? Um, we can't possibly experience everything, mm-hmm. but you should, you should really value that which you do and, you know, make sure that you're, you're making the most of the moment, I suppose. Well, you know, I feel like the game did a good job of describing the relationships to you between Benny and his mom, Ellie. Mm-hmm. And, it makes you give that choice of are you throwing all this off typical kid thing to do or are you going to be putting all this pressure on yourself and are you going to refuse to hang out with your best friend on the beach so it's like you know it it, i said earlier it's because i liked playing piano but uh, (laughs) i felt like this was the benny i was playing yeah and i think i mentioned earlier that i did a second playthrough and to your point josh i think that is not something I would have wanted to do to this game if it wasn't to refresh my memory. Like, I really do feel like your Benny is your first time through this game, how you reacted organically in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, you know, more for research purposes, choosing the other option my second time through. I really do feel like the canonical Benny is the one that I made on my first playthrough. (laughs) The head Benny. Right. To your point about the scenes playing out the same, I mean... I think that's kind of like a better story for my Benny if he tries really hard and sacrifices things and doesn't make it as opposed to, oh, he doesn't make it. And that's because he, he, you know, he slacked off and <laughs> didn't care about it. Well, yeah, but for my Benny, it was because he had this, uh, you know, blossoming relationship with his next door neighbor girlfriend um, or just really good friend, uh, whichever way you want to project that. Um 
<laughs> it's funny because like there there's all kinds of interesting flavor around even like that relationship too. Like they're both into this shellfish collecting Pokemon like game on their their <laughs> video game console. Um, the all of the sort of flavoring around like sort of the major events of of the characters Benny's life are are really nice. And I think this game also sort of did a good job in sort of miniature world building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. It definitely had some of that. Um wonder of childhood sort of thing like oh you're just hanging out with your friends playing video games on the couch now you know but to your your point um you know you are growing up during the course of this you're going from uh hanging out with chloe trying to get into music school to eventually um the one big inciting incident of the game happens and you're you're diagnosed with an illness and you're forced to stay home from school for a year during which you discover a lost skill of yours drawing um, mm-hmm. And as a result of that, you start to um, draw and uh, be recognized for your artistic skill, and then you uh, eventually go to art school. I liked how this was a callback to the very early parts of the game where you're just kind of messing around with everything, taking the systems and the questions as they come to you, um, and you doodle a little toy boat. And then, you know, you've been sick at home for a year. Your mom says, hey, you've got to start doing something. Um, And so you draw the boat again, and it's like, oh, I, I like this. I'm getting good at this. Now I'm going to art school. Yeah, it's a really nice sort of uh, montage where your boat goes from like a stick figure boat to like a fully realized artistic rendering of a boat. And they're like, uh, the mom once again is like, oh man, he might be good at this. And (laughs) it's funny because the same thing happened when like you played a C chord on the piano or like correctly mimicked her composition from by ear, um, which would be impressive for like a three year old. Um. <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, I think we should uh, take a moment to say how good the music in this game was. I oh, yeah. super dug it. Yeah, yeah. This uh, game's composition was uh, fantastic, and one of the composers of the game, Ali Lewin, also wrote like a fully voiced uh, song uh, that played over the credits. That is just so good, and you will hear later on, I'm sure. Um, ah. But yeah, the the music in this game is is fantastic, and uh, you know it is because Josh actually noticed it. so you're going off to art school uh you're doing fantastic everyone loves what you're coming up with Um, And you're kind of given a chance to maybe fulfill that dream of your mom's to create a great work of art or to be a great artist. Um, I know there was a point where you're offered a chance to sign up with an advertising company. Hmm. And uh, I want to know what you probably chose both things if you did two playthroughs. But (laughs) I uh, crumpled the contract up because I I didn't want to let money get in the way of my art. How did you go about it? (laughs) actually that is one decision i couldn't remember how i chose and it turns out on both playthroughs i I chose to accept the contract because i knew money was hard to come by as an artist (laughs) (laughs) bringing your real life experiences into it huh (laughs) yeah yeah so um 
yeah, I'm glad you chose the other side of that coin. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's really interesting. I like the paintings that they sort of made up for Benny to have created in this game. They're sort of like they uh, change between uh, types. They're either super minimalist or like very pastel and um, uh, evocative, I guess. They're, it's fun because you can create ones that all have either the same style or you can create ones that mix the styles in between them. And I found that to be pretty, pretty interesting. The way you paint things in this game, too, is pretty interesting. You uh, look at an object and you blink, and that captures the essence of it, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Then you drag it over, you look over at your paper, um, and you blink again, and it gets transferred onto there. Well, that's kind of how I go about podcasting, actually. I look over at my notes, I blink a couple times, and then I transfer it into this microphone. (laughs) And it either comes out zany or erudite or none of the above. Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so at, at the end of that scene, you're a world-renowned artist, but your mother has um, be, uh, gotten an illness and, and passed away tragically. I think that happens regardless of what choice you make about the contract, correct? Oh, no, she lives a long and happy life if you sign the... No, it's, it's the same. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, Damn. <laughs> Um, it turns but, out yeah. it was the money that was killing her all along. <laughs> I mean, not untrue, given her work as an accountant, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, Zing. <laughs> but yeah, we'll we'll continue on. Uh, but yeah, basically, uh, all of that has, has passed. Uh, your world-renowned artist, your mom died, and, and the coyote, we, we flash back to the boat the ferryman coyote person that you mentioned is dancing for joy because he finally pulled a soul out of the water who was worthy of of passing the gate and getting into heaven as a famous artist person mm-hmm. except this was all a lie yeah there's a big twist coming up and it was even something i was i wasn't saying i was like predicting it but along the way of this thing um well what happens is when you had that illness that was it everything you hear in that story afterwards is just a kind of like dream that this little 11 or 12 year old boy is having about the way things should have gone and like kind of looking back at it uh, I remember as the story went on, I was like, this is, you know, starting to be a little bit un- improbable. He's a genius at music. He's a world-renowned <laughs> artist, too. And yes. like, uh, he's an artistic polymath. This, <laughs> dedicated this g- gigantic um, and well-respected gallery showing to his mother. And, uh, you know, it started seeming a little bit too on the nose. And then you get the twist. And... It all like made sense. What seemed like a little bit of clunky storytelling, at th- when I was going through it, just kind of wrapped in on itself, and you realized what good writing it was. Yeah, I mean, it, looking back on it, Benny, who is eleven at the time of his passing, it is a child's perception of success in artistry, right? Like you get the big deal, you get the big gallery show. Um, it's interesting to me that they even built in the fact that his his mom had passed at some point there, though. Like, that, that's not really something I probably would have, as a child, conceived as a, a possible 
thing that would happen, but it's also revealed that he's a, a pretty decent writer too, so I guess maybe he had a hand in writing his own tale here. <laughs> At this point, the ferryman asks you to think back again uh, about all the hard times, the times that uh, were not uh, presented in in your first round through the story, about maybe the expectations not met, uh, the very hardest moments in in Benny's life. Mm -hmm. And I think that was some of the more affecting parts of the game to me were you hear that story it's a story he writes for himself about how he goes on to be a great and successful artist uh this has happened after he's frankly disappointed his mom uh the first time with a music school and he actually overhears like a nighttime conversation between his mom and his dad about that and he he feels like he's a failure so he invents a life for himself where he lives up to those expectations his mom put on him I got I got another thing on that though. The conversation that the mom and the dad are having that you have to close your eyes and listen to to hear um, basically ends with the line, "What's the point of this if he's never going to get better?" And that it that can either be interpreted as a reference to his musical skill or the illness that they already know that he has. Mm-hmm. That's uh, very true. I, I I was thinking it was the latter when I heard it, but I. You, I guess you could see it as the musical skill too. Was that Ellie saying that line? It was, and yeah. um, and I think given the time that it occurred in the story, because I think all of those things happened in fairly quick succession, right? Like the failure to move through the diagnosis, and then after that, he starts to get worse and worse from a health perspective. Um, so I think from Benny, eleven-year-old's perspective, he could have it could have been either, but I think he was probably thinking of it as him letting his mother down about the music and she's perceiving mm. it as his illness that's deep yeah it's interesting and sad <laughs> very very sad yeah um, this game gets sad very fast um not only do you see like oh this perfect life not it's it's a lie but it's also like it kind of breaks your heart that it's a lie like it's the one that he chose that's the story the, the story he aspires to uh that's kind of like very touching that it would be something like that with these weight of parental expectations uh bearing down on him this is the life he wants to live but never gets a chance to yeah it it strikes me that you know the perspective viewing this the whole situation is is so important here because parenting you know thinking about this from ellie's perspective parenting is hard you never really know how the things you do are going to affect your child or the things you say or the things you you know get them involved in and um that really like struck home with this game for me like we i'm I'm sure that ellie had very good intentions for all the things but you know the um the psychic toll that sort of all of that you know anguish about not measuring up from a musical perspective really does seem to have made Benny into sort of a sad kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, he really feels like it was his fault that these things didn't happen. Yeah. You know, and the interesting thing is during this second story where he eventually recovered and became an artist, the illness does not recede the second time through. Um, the family's obviously very saddened by that. Um, Benny, 
throughout the course of his illness is visited by Chloe a few times, who's initially sort of very upset and kind of mean, and then eventually, you know, uh, admits that, you know, she was his best friend and or had feelings for him too, depending on your choice. And he also, Benny, uh, plays his mother's composition on the piano to try and, and cheer his mother up because his father, uh, Richard, has, has let him know that she's going through a real rough patch um, as well. Huh. I don't know if I remember playing the composition again. I'm wondering if that happened in whatever choices you made beforehand. Yeah, for or me, maybe this... I couldn't blink at the piano in time because of my glasses. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's one of those things that will go unsaid for you, I guess. But um, <laughs> yeah, it. Um, uh, Ellie, Ellie, obviously, you know, she she had asked during the course of the illness, um, Benny, to to start writing. You know, writing the story about his life, um, about you know what he he has done in his 11 years to date and what he wants to do when he gets better even though she knows full well that he probably won't um Mm -hmm. but she she wants him to you know to take his mind off things one but also i think she just wants to sort of understand him better yeah i was kind of getting that as well i i think another interesting thing is the story that benny writes for his mother it's the same story that you, the player, write with the ferryman on the kind of uh, interlude between the two acts, if you will. When the ferryman asks you questions about your life and you are like, oh, Chloe was my best friend or, oh, Chloe was my first crush or, you know, different choices like that. And um, Benny creates that story and then he turns out he wrote that in the real life, too, in the second act. Yeah, so she he writes this typewriter typewriter story uh, for me. Sorry, he writes this typewriter story for me. It was about he was a lonely, weird kid in a uh, seaside town, and um, about how his mother pushed him too hard. She was very demanding, and that was kind of just what I was feeling in the moment. Then mm-hmm. um, you know this when you is, think you're just talking to the fairy man, right? Exactly, but then when I realized that that was going to go back to, to Ellie, to his mother, um, obviously she cried when she read it immediately and, you know, ran out of the room. Um, it was, that was pretty sad too, sort of her realizing what she had subjected him to unknowingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that's, that sounds very affecting right there. But as, as we come up to the ending, um, and the ferryman sort of decides how he wants to portray Benny's life story to uh, the gatekeeper of, of the afterlife. Um, she starts to read, or he starts to read a different story. And simultaneously, uh, Ellie begins to read her response to Benny's life story. Basically, um, she said that when she read through Benny's life story, she didn't quite understand or she didn't quite get that, and she wanted to give her account of the great life of Benjamin Brin, um, the Benny I've known for 11 years, she said. And it's all of this incredibly touching um, uh, rhetoric about how Benny was able to bring joy to their their lives, even when it was most difficult. And uh, he nonetheless, you know, Although he lived a short and ordinary life, he nonetheless lived a good one by giving hope to his friends and family. And pleased by this display of heart and sincerity, the gatekeeper allows him to pass through. 
I was a very touching moment for sure, especially coming from Ellie, who Benny feels like, oh, there's these expectations that weren't met. Um, difficult relationship with his mom uh, throughout his life, I think, because of that. Uh, and hearing her words about how she saw his life was a great moment. This game had a lot of feels in it. Oh, yeah. Like, by this point, um, and you might not have gotten this without the, the blinking mechanic, but you are blinking back and forth between the gatekeeper or the uh, the ferryman and Ellie simultaneously reading this story. And for me, this was as like tears were streaming down my face. So I was blinking quite a bit and going <laughs> back and forth between the two. And it just like was this vicious cycle of like seeing these two things come together, these two like incredibly touching moments. And it just gutted me. <laughs> like I was like ugly crying by the end of this game. Oh, <laughs> now this, this was a great game. Very well done. Uh, it, it would have been a great story if it didn't have the blinking mechanic, but that blinking mechanic just, it was weaved through it so well throughout the entire game in unexpected ways. I think this, for me, was like similar to the brothers, a tale of two sons, like moment at the end, where like the mechanics that you're using to interact with the game perfectly intersect with the story as it's being told, and mm-hmm. um, the message on screen, you know, fits uh, perfectly into that as well. And it's just, oh, like it was, it it really is something special. Like I think the the end of this game is is up there in terms of like all time affecting gaming moments for me, for sure. You know, what's interesting for me is how the game kind of subverted my expectations a bit. Um, When I heard about the mechanic and I was first starting to go through the game, I was thinking the kind of, you know, the moral of the story, say, was going to be that life goes by so fast to blink and you'll miss it. Um, But then it turns out that half of the life I was living was just a fantasy anyways. Um, So it kind of... It threw me off a little bit when that twist did come around and you realize this isn't the game I think I was playing or this yeah. is the game I thought I was playing. Yeah, it's it's very true. It's it's interesting that the blinking mechanic serves to uh, basically ensure that you only see a snapshot of the whole. Um, there's so much happening between the milestones that this game has and you don't see all of the pieces of it. For example, I think about Ellie, right? Like, you're either seeing her as supportive or demanding. And it's a false binary, right? She has probably been both of those things in large part throughout his entire life. But um, overall, she's both of those things and and far more, right? She's um, obviously a very great mom. And you don't, like, you don't be a great mom by just being demanding or just being supportive like sometimes you have to you have to there's a balance there and we don't Mm -hmm. see it all because we only see these snapshots i think the snapshots do do a very good job of telling the story of filling out these scenes of uh fleshing out these characters with the small moments of time that you see them for one concept that i often heard um talked about with this game um 
was the idea of perceived lifetime, right? Like early on in the game, you are, you know, you see the first year of, of uh, Benny's life pretty over the course of quite a few minutes as, as compared to like the years and years that pass after that. And basically what I think they're getting at here is time represents a smaller and smaller fraction of your overall life the longer it gets into it. Like one year is basically not that meaningful for me in terms of time, but it's a big deal for my daughter, Eleanor, who just turned one. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's her Happy whole experience. Birthday, so. Eleanor. <laughs> right. So uh, thank you um, from her. But yeah, it's so interesting to think about like the fact that one year for me is, um, you know, one thirty fourth or whatever, but one year for her is 100%. (laughs) Uh, There was a moment at the end where Benny's in the hospital and you start seeing kind of like his final days, his final weeks. Uh, You see the big angry scribbly lines in front of him that I think is representing pain and then you see like the hospital accoutrements around him Um, and I remember looking at the uh, there was a tray on the table next to him that had a sandwich and some orange juice and I remember thinking well fuck I know what's (laughs) happening here and sure Mm. enough he eats the sandwich and then you do it again and he eats less and less and less that for me was a very driving home the moment kind of thing right you know i think maybe it's worth contextualizing that a little bit this is probably something you as a practicing nurse in the past have seen many times yeah i would say you know i've seen more people die than the average person maybe and i've seen the i'm more familiar with the process but it is one that you know hit home for me it was a telltale sign. Yeah, I, I agree. And that that whole scene, you know, the end of um, the second run where you're pretty much in the bed and it's really just the scenery around you that's changing um, is, you know, that it's very depressing. It's uh, the spiral towards the end, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's also very interesting that your ability to blink and interact with any of those things also slowly like degrades over time you're not even able to uh, blink on the sandwich to eat it anymore or the medicine to take it anymore at the end mm-hmm. yeah yeah they things slow down you're less able to do even the simple the parts basics. of life anymore mm-hmm. mm, absolutely <clears throat> uh, so with that uh, let's try and sum up our thoughts on this very affecting game with a three-word review My three-word review for this game is Time Ever Onward. Before your eyes' greatest innovation is the blinking mechanic, but its greatest achievement is using this novel and often unconscious input to tell a compelling story. You get so wrapped up in the flash-forward scenes that you don't realize the moment where history ends and aspiration begins. Hmm. The involuntary flash-forwards take on a much more sinister meaning, when they go through the final weeks of a child's life. The game not only invents a new mechanic, but uses it to great effect in telling an affecting story. Thumbs up, would recommend, but also recommend a box of tissues. (laughs) Yes, I can't agree more uh, with both. Uh, My three-word review is Life Worth Living. Before Your Eyes uses the blinking mechanic to show us that life will inevitably move forward, Uh, as we make decisions, affect others, and go about our daily business. 
we inevitably as well won't experience everything that life has to offer. Yet, as this game embraces brevity and the fleeting aspects of life's moments big and small, it highlights how each decision can have an impact down the road. Benny's story specifically teaches us another important lesson, that every life is worth living. Sometimes you feel like a failure, sometimes you may not reach your goals, but it's important to remember that even if it doesn't feel like it, your actions have impacts and outcomes that you might not even realize. And every life, no matter how long or short, happy or sad, is a life worth living. Amen. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, so um yeah that's sort of a, a maybe an, an aspirational thing to take into the future i hope um and with that i want to say thanks for listening and if you enjoyed this podcast then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well and if you want to get in touch drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on twitter at pixelplaypod and for us here at pixelated playgrounds i'm brian skersha i'm josh Kalecki. take care and don't blink. I wanna be somebody. Me 2.0 for you. And when you meet somebody, you're gonna feel the same way. I think this will be a this will be a relatively breezy one by our standards, um, hmm. but I'm, I'm a glad nice for it. super emotional <laughs> breezy podcast. Well, yeah, we're just gonna like drop into your life and stab you with the um, the, feels. The, the dagger of feels and leave you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, this is kind of a game that will do that. It's like watching a really sad movie. Um, but still, like, I think it had an overall positive message and outcome, right? Like, this isn't a sad game. It just has sad parts. I think it's a really sad game, but I think it ends on a very uplifting note with that Yeah, that's probably... LA. That's a better way to put it. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, you still got a, the death of an 11-year-old as a big moment of the game, you know? Right. I guess that is literally the moment of the game. Um, <laughs> I mean, what... I think the interesting thing about the title, Before Your Eyes, is, to me, it's definitely a reference to your life flashes before your eyes, right? The, mm, the thing mm-hmm. that's supposed to happen when you die. Um, that, that That's how I interpreted it, at least. Yeah, I guess I thought about the title a little bit, too. Like, Before Your Eyes, more as not the moment your life flashes before your eyes, as they say, but more like, I don't know, before, like more like before your very eyes that hmm. phrase like things are unfolding here before but your i very think eyes, yeah. your your idea makes more sense <laughs> well um we'll just have to reach out to the dev and ask hey so what's the title all about <laughs> <laughs> i mean um the the original title of close your implied eyes of course um I guess was more mechanically driven and I think maybe maybe that reflects on how this game evolved right it became less about mechanics and more about story and writing um, over time that being said there are a lot of interesting mechanical um, implementations in this game uh, you know the way like you were talking about withdrawing but then also the way you were playing the piano mm-hmm. yeah the 
instead of making you do anything sort of like Guitar Hero, where you have to hit keys in a certain order and have rhythm, uh, you're basically just following a certain part of the keyboard with your mouse. And it goes from, you know, when you're playing easy passages, it's a nice wide thing. When you're playing the hard stuff at the piano recital, it's a much more narrow thing. But it's not... It doesn't take any sense of rhythm or anything like that to just follow a lighted up section of the keyboard. Yeah, I thought that was a nice compromise, right? Because they could have started to add all of these little mini games, like you said, like Guitar Hero or... Um, you know, something for drawing, like a tracing mechanic or something like that. You know, basically uh, Mario Party minigames plus the blinking thing. And it would have been too much, right? Like, this game, to me, succeeds for being succinct, brief, and pretty lightweight in terms of mechanics and focusing more on the story and plot. Yeah, if they added mini games in for those different activities, it would not have been additive. Like, um, even the... Take a look at all those the mini games they do have in the drawing, the piano, call them mini games, but the lightweight mechanical systems they have there. You don't really get graded on anything in any way that matters. I mean, sure, the piano recital, but doesn't actually change anything if you do good or bad there. Yeah, it this game also like it, it very much is probably making a commentary on your choices and your inputs don't matter all that much in the grand scheme. <laughs> because no no matter how well you do with the the piano mini game, no matter how um, you know what you choose in terms of the, the art, they're still going to hate your piano playing and they're still going to love your art. Um, you, you've never made a meaningful choice in a video game. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't actually believe that. I think there's very meaningful things that come out of choices in video games, at least as it pertains to their story. But um, it definitely doesn't make a difference on the material world, generally speaking. Usually not. <laughs> Until you get into these new like NFT crypto games that right. burn down the rainforest in Brazil. Yay for having physical effects. <laughs> yeah, and maybe we should just allow video games to continue to stay sequestered in cyberspace for all eternity. Thank you. Uh, this has been my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs>